<laughs> Welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. Um, and I'm Dan with a solo episode today and gonna talk about when you should be rude. Now, with The Christian Contrast and with even the title for this podcast that we do, um, we're talking about the whole idea that walking with Jesus leads to a contrast between our lives and maybe the more normal life in society, the going with the flow of what our culture is doing. And in many ways, I think it's appropriate for us as believers in Jesus to think, well, if, if we're living in contrast with the world around us, we should be the nicest, the kindest people, the, the friendliest people that anybody ever runs into. And, and I think that there's a part of this that's, that's appropriate for us to think, although I think a, a part of that does also just have to do with sort of personality and disposition. Um, but one of the shocking things is that in our culture right now, one of the ways that I think that we're meant to show a contrast is that we're actually willing to be rude, or if you wanna soften it a little bit, we're willing to risk rudeness. Now, part of where this is coming from is that we've reached a point largely in our culture where the chief virtue, the absolute top virtue that we have is niceness, and the absolute top vice that we have is either rudeness or meanness, um, to the point that if somebody were to say to you, hey, th this person, they felt hurt by what you said, um, the absolutely assumed conclusion would be that you did something wrong. The idea of talking to somebody who's saying, I felt hurt by what you said, and coming to the conclusion with them, maybe the problem's not with the person who said it, maybe the problem's with you, is almost unthinkable. Some of you are probably getting uncomfortable with the idea that I'm even suggesting this idea. But I think that it's important that we look at it, and I think that it's important that we see what scripture is calling us to. Um, now, first of all, a couple problems with the whole idea of niceness being the chief virtue. Um, problem number one is that we all know it's not. We all know that there's things that we would value over niceness if given the choice. Um, if you had two choices between a doctor and one of them was sort of rude and abrupt and blunt and didn't have the best bedside manner, but was very, very good at what he did, and then you had a doctor that was gonna ask you all the questions, speak to you softly, but was largely incompetent, you know which one you would choose. You wouldn't put niceness as the chief virtue. And in the same way, if we saw two firefighters and one is rushing out of the truck into a burning building to help save children who are in peril, um, but afterwards is rude to reporters and doesn't want to give an interview, um, whereas there's a super nice guy who stayed in the truck the whole time and yelled encouragement, we would all know who the more virtuous firefighter is. It's the one with the courage because courage, at least in many cases, we would place as a higher value than just sort of politeness and niceness. So we need to at least start by saying, we all know, at the end of the day, we all know that there's certain things that we would value as virtues above niceness all the time. They don't necessarily have to be in conflict with each other, but there are things that are more important. And then the other problem with this is that we've really sort of expanded the definitions of niceness and rudeness um, to the point that I'll give an example. So, so let's say there's a soccer coach for a bunch of 10 year olds. Um, I, I think about that because for a few years I've got to be a soccer coach for my now 11 year old son. Uh, and let's say uh, the soccer coach is talking to one of the kids at one of the breaks and says to the kid, hey, you stink. 
I think we all, uh, just about everybody, even the most blunt person in the United States of America would say, no, that's not okay. Like that, that, that's rude. That's not helpful. You shouldn't say that to a 10 year old kid. But if the 10 year old kid was coming in and the coach said, Hey, you need to pay more attention out there. You weren't paying any attention to what was going on and you hurt the team. There are many who would say, no, 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 you can't say that to the kid. You, you can't say that to the kid. That, that's going to hurt their feelings. That's going to make them not feel good about themselves. And the reason I bring this up is just to say that that should at least make us scratch our head. That that should at least make us say, well, if, have we expanded the definitions of niceness or kindness and rudeness too much to where things that are just more normal speech, sometimes speech that's necessary and helpful, has now been labeled as rude and we need to just eradicate it from our culture. Um, now, those are some of the problems with this. Um, what I wanna say is for a massive percentage of the time, there is no conflict at all between living out the gospel of Jesus, living out our faith and being nice. There's a huge percentage of the time where there's no conflict at all between that. Um, but it's not 100% of the time. There are some times where niceness and the way we're defining it needs to be set aside because there's something more at stake. Um, but one of my favorite verses, the Bible is First Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse fourteen. And the Apostle Paul writes this: "And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone." And the reason I wanted to read this first is just to, to have the standout line at the beginning where Paul is saying there's different groups of people, there's different people who are sort of dealing with different things, and so you give them different things. So he says, all right, for a disheartened, pers disheartened person, you encourage them. For a weak person, you help them. But before that, he says, for an idle or disruptive person, you warn them. And that's typically not polite. Now, now, you can do it in a more or less aggressive way, but still warning somebody or rebuking somebody, which is one of the things that Paul calls Timothy to do in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it's, it's typically not considered extremely polite because you're telling somebody that they're doing something wrong or that they're saying something wrong or that they need to change their behavior. Um, when we're rebuked, typically our feelings are hurt, even if we know the other person is right. It, it, it's just a dynamic that happens. So just as Paul is saying here, it would be inappropriate for you to be warning and rebuking a disheartened person. Just saying, that's not the order for the day. Don't do that, that's not appropriate. In the same way, it would be just as inappropriate to be overly gentle and encouraging to a person who's idle or disruptive. Paul says, no, they need something else. They need a warning. They need an admonishment. They need a rebuke. Niceness isn't always what's called for. And really, the, the life of, of our Lord, the life of Jesus demonstrates this. And you know, some of you in your heads right now, you're like, oh, he's gonna talk about cleansing the temple. That, that's the classic passage about Jesus getting angry and doing something. I, I'll, I'll skip that one. I, I'll just talk. But I, I will talk about three times I think Jesus definitely was rude by our modern definition of it. Um, one is in Matthew 23. And if you go back and read the whole chapter of Matthew 23, it is this powerful passage of Jesus announcing woes or rebukes or in some sense curses 
on the Pharisees and Sadducees, calling out their hypocrisy. Some of the names that he calls them, some of the language that he uses, some of the ways that he uses to describe them, there's no way we could read that and say, niceness was the chief virtue, or sort of you catch more bees with honey, whatever we'd say, it, it, it does not have that dynamic. It is sharp rebuke. And one of the things that stands out about this passage is something that Jesus says as he's just getting into it, and as he's describing the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew chapter 23, verse four. He says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them, which I think is insightful. See, here's Jesus being willing to use strong, rebuking language, and a big part of what's driving it is that the people need to be rebuked because they are hurting. They are weighing down people that need gentleness. They're weighing down people that need care, and they're doing so in a way that they're representing God, and so it's bringing confusion to people. Um, another case where Jesus is not overly polite, and I would say in some ways is kind of rude, is in John chapter four. Now, the funny thing about this is John chapter four is where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman by the well, and, and this is typically used as this amazing passage about personal evangelism and about crossing barriers, and it is, in many ways, it's, it's this amazing way that Jesus makes a connection. He's a man, she's a woman, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, um, he's the son of God, she's probably a woman with a bad reputation, but based on everything that's going on, he crosses all these sorts of barriers. Um, but one of the things that happens, if you know the passage, is Jesus is, is talking to her in kind of an evocative way about the living water that he has to offer, and she gets to the point of saying, all right, I, I want this living water. And then Jesus says, go call your husband which to us seems a little random. It's, it's not totally clear what would have been going through the woman's mind, but she says, I have no husband. And Jesus then says, you're right that you have no husband. You have had five husbands and the man that you're now with is not your husband. Now, the funny thing is I once heard somebody speak on this passage and talk about this as sort of an endearing way that Jesus complimented her in order to draw her in with kindness because he told her, hey, what you said is correct. And so it was like, it was this compliment. This is not a compliment. This is Jesus bringing some of the shameful things about this woman right before her face. This was a very uncomfortable thing to do. This couldn't have made her feel good about herself. Now, to her credit, as opposed to going away and saying, how dare you bring this up? She takes this as a sign that this man's a prophet and, and I wanna keep talking to him. That is to her credit. But Jesus, kind of rude there. He had a priority. He was looking to draw this woman to the faith, to living water, and he was willing to be rude. He was willing to at least risk rudeness in order to do it. One more example, Luke chapter seven. Um, there's this occasion where there's a Pharisee named Simon who invites Jesus over to dinner. Jesus is there and this woman who has a bad reputation in the community comes in, um, washes his feet, cleanses it, dries, um, dries his feet with her hair, washes them with her tears. Uh, it's a sort of awkward scene and Simon the Pharisee is looking at this being like, ah, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he, he wouldn't let this go on. He wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus ends up in frankly a pretty pointed way rebuking Simon. 
by telling him, hey, when I came in, you didn't give me anything to wash my feet with, but this woman has washed my feet with her tears. Um, you didn't give me any kind of kiss as a greeting, but she hasn't ceased kissing my feet. He contrasts Simon with this woman, and he does so in a pretty pointed way that was definitely rude, that, that was definitely uncomfortable, that would have hurt Simon's feelings and made him feel like he had been called out because he had. Here's why I'm talking about this. I, I think we all know this. We just need to see there are times to risk rudeness. There are times where there's something bigger at stake. Somebody's being misled. Somebody's being confused. Somebody's being mistreated. Somebody's not responding in the, in the way that they need to respond. There's spiritual danger. There are times where it's appropriate to risk rudeness and to not risk rudeness would be to not act in love. Um, so, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna call us to to three sort of principles, I guess, three principles of how we respond to this idea that sometimes we're called to, at the very least, risk rudeness towards others. Um, the first is this, and, and it's real simple: have the courage to risk rudeness. Um, Jesus said this in John chapter fifteen, verse eighteen: "If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, this doesn't mean that we, we should go around sort of anticipating or reveling in the idea that there are certain people that hate us or don't like us. That's not something that we want. That's something that we understand is gonna happen, not with everyone, but it is gonna happen. And we need to be courageous enough to accept it when it happens. And we need to not call ourselves virtuous when we're just being cowardly. There's no doubt that there's times that we pat ourselves on the back saying, I'm, I'm being so patient, I'm being so kind, I'm being so, under I'm just loving on this person when it's not loving at all and we're just being cowards. We're unwilling to speak the truth for their benefit. So number one is just recognize that th this is a courage issue. And courage, I believe biblically, is a bigger virtue than niceness. Often the two can absolutely go in tandem but don't pat yourself on the back. Don't convince yourself or trick yourself into the idea that you're being virtuous when you're unwilling to carry the shame, the reproach of Christ. There are certain issues in our culture where if we stand with Jesus, we will stand on the wrong side of the world and we will be called names and we will be treated harshly. Be courageous enough to embrace that and to be the aroma of life and death to people, which means some are gonna respond with joy but some are gonna respond poorly. So number one, have the courage to risk rudeness. Number two, be hostile to ideas, not primarily to people. I think it's not typically appropriate for us to have hostility toward other people. I think there are some times where there's at least borderline hostility that is appropriate. But for the most part, what we're looking to be hostile towards is false ideas that people are propagating. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses four and five. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Um, and just think about some of the words that Paul is using here. He's talking about demolishing strongholds, demolishing arguments, taking something captive, the weapons that we fight with. He is saying we absolutely are hostile to false and deceptive ideas that are leading people astray. And in some ways, what this might mean 
is that if we're one-on-one talking to somebody who's deceived, we may be incredibly gentle. But if we are in a more public way talking about the ideas that are deceiving people, we may be utterly hostile and not hostile to the people who've been deceived by the ideas, but to the ideas themselves. Um, I was thinking of this just this past week because I heard about a situation where there's um, a kid, like a, a 10 or 11 year old kid who's identifying as non-binary. It's, it's a girl, but she's, she's identifying that way. And, and I just was sort of going down the line and thinking about this. And I was like, all right, if, if I was talking to her one-on-one, I'd have no hostility. I, I would be incredibly gentle um, in, in talking to her. Um, if I was talking to her parents who are sort of supporting and propagating and saying, yes, championing this idea, um, there would be a level of hostility. There would be a level of hostility because of the way that they're deceiving and mistreating their daughter. Um, I'd have to discern the, the situation, but there's, there's a call for greater hostility there. Um, if we are talking about the concept, if we are talking about just the idea that you will somehow find fullness, find satisfaction in this gender confusion and gender ideology, absolutely hostile toward that idea, and that is appropriate. Paul was hostile towards ideas. We should be hostile toward ideas. We're gentle with people who are deceived by those ideas, but we're willing to hurt feelings to be hostile towards the lies that they've, dis- that they've believed. Um, and then number three, fight for people, not against them. Um, I, I say this partly because some of you are like, I'm loving this podcast episode. This is great. This is my jam. I, I hate all of this kind of dancing around things. I, I like just to tell it how it is. And just be careful that what I'm talking about here doesn't somehow empower you to sin against others by being flippant and careless with your words. Fight for people, not against them. Here's what James writes in the last two verses of his letter, verses 19 and 20 of chapter five. He says, my brothers and sisters, if, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Um, to lead into this, James is saying, man, if somebody's wandering from the truth and you go back and get them, you go out and get them, you have saved them, you have rescued them, you have done the most loving, caring thing that you can for them. You can't do that for someone. You can't, you can't bring somebody back who's wandering from the truth without there being rebuke somehow in there, e- even if it's the most gentle, soft-spoken word of rebuke that anyone's ever heard. You have to go out and get that person and convince them that the way that they're living or what they're thinking or what they're saying or what they're, what they're believing is wrong, is false, is harmful, and that's difficult to do. But James says that that's an incredibly loving thing to do, and we need to be willing to do it. Um, we, we, we recognize that there are times that we need to do this, even with it, if you have kids, you know that there's times that your kid might be heading towards something that's dangerous, and you don't have time to sort of explain in a very calm, polite way what's going on. And you just have to call out, out to them. You have to sort of say, ah, don't touch that. No, no, don't go in there. Hey, get out of the way. Sometimes you have to do that. And sometimes uh, I've experienced when I've done that with my kids, sometimes initially their feelings are hurt. They, they might even cry a little bit to be like, why, why did you talk to me that way? And then you got to say, all right, I, I normally wouldn't talk to you that way, but you were in danger. And I would rather be rude to you and save you from danger than be calm and polite and have you harmed in some way or hurt badly in some way 
by that. That's what we're talking about here. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5, it says that open rebuke is better than hidden love. And that's really what we're talking about. Man, we are tricking ourselves into thinking that we are so loving. We are so kind. We are so godly. We, we are so Jesus-like when we're not willing to show our love through open rebuke. And there are times where we're caught between those two. We're saying, I can do the rude, open rebuke to this person, or I can do sort of the, the buyer culture, kind, hide my love for them by just saying nothing or just encouraging them. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you really love each other, so it's okay that you're sleeping together. No, no, you deserve better. I'm, I'm sure it's okay that you should go ahead and divorce them. No, no, it doesn't matter if you drink a, a little bit too much. You had a hard day, you, you probably earned it. We're not helping, we are hiding our love instead of giving an open rebuke that's the real show of love. So remember in doing this, you're fighting for people. You're fighting for people to respond to the truth, to respond to the truth that will set them free. So first of all, if, if you're too eager to rebuke, remember what you're fighting for and who you're fighting for. And if you're unwilling to rebuke, remember that you can't really love someone unless you're willing to do this. Um, I know this is an odd topic, talking about when it's appropriate to be rude or at the very least to risk rudeness, but I think this is important. And I hope that it's made you think to be able to listen to this and think about this. If you have thoughts, if you have questions, if you have pushback, disagreements, suggestions, any of that, um, I'd love to see that in the comments of this video. We always post our videos of The Christian Contrast on our YouTube channel for Life Bible Fellowship Church. And then we also post it on our website, lbf.church. And you can go on either of those places and you can find back episodes of The Christian Contrast podcast. We do episodes every two weeks. And so we'd love to get interaction with people as we put these out. And so I'll be back two weeks from now with another episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen and I'll see you then. Thank you.